1: Hello and welcome to The Athletic Soccer Show. My name is Mike Zimmerman, and today I am joined by The Athletic's Jeff Reuter. Jeff, how you doing?
2: Great. What's sleep anymore? I know I've said this on a couple of shows so far if you listen to me on other radio stations, but seriously, what is sleep anymore, Mike? I, I, I don't think we know. <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't think we'll get that answer for a few more weeks anyway, but today, Jeff, We got you on the Athletic Soccer Show to kind of go over your most recent story. uh, The Greg Berhalter report card following the U.S. men's national team's 3-1 to loss against the Netherlands in the round of 16. Um, If you haven't read it, please go to the Athletic, read all of Jeff's work, read all of our uh, soccer work on the Athletic. Let's start out with the first three group stage games. You had... Uh, you had written report cards for the, each of those individual games. You gave a C, uh, coaching grade for Berhalter against Wales, a B plus mm-hmm. against England, and a B against Iran. What were some things that kind of brought you to those those decisions?
2: Yeah, I, I mean credit to Brooks Peck too for my editor, who's helped me a lot with uh, you know this was this was an idea of. Um, in qualifying, I would put together something called the U.S. Fan Index. And so I would put out a survey. We would get you know over a thousand responses, usually after each qualifying window to get a sense of how do you feel about this area of the field, uh, Berhalter as a coach, who was snubbed from the roster, who do you want to see next time, all that sort of stuff like that. But it just felt really unwieldy to try to do that during a tournament. But it still felt important to be able to give some sort of assessment game by game of how this team was performing. Um, and so the the report card looked in – Uh, It started as four categories. People took it way too seriously when we throw out vibes as a category, as if like, I am assuming that's as important as a lineup decision for a coach, but it's fine. So we just scrapped it so that readers would focus on what was actually important, (laughs) which was three main categories, his initial lineup and tactical decisions from the off. Um, his adjustments at the break. So that would be I, I included Giovanni Reina coming off the bench against Holland, for example, is more of a halftime adjustment rather than a substitution. Um, but but what was he doing based off reading the game and trying to get the U.S. to acclimate to the opponent, um, based on what they were doing in the opening half? And then finally, uh, substitutions. Uh, and so across those three, you average those out. I actually used like a teacher's assistant calculator website so that I could get like a true weighted average. Um because my brain is fried these days and I can't calculate that stuff myself. Of course. And uh right. And so um so we came out with these grades uh they are very scientific. Uh my parents were both math teachers. Uh so I think they would approve of the methodology on this and um yeah, and so ultimately I think what you saw in the group stage was um that it was very prescient to have it broken up in those three categories in particular because I think that so often the the, the narrative throughout qualifying was Lineups were poor. Initial tactics were not going to work against teams playing in a low block. Berhalter would have to do some radical halftime adjustment. The U.S. would come out firing and everyone's asking, where was that team in the first half? For whatever reason, um, additional time to prepare for opponents, maybe a higher caliber of opponent getting more out of the players, excuse me, whatever the case may be. The team looked far better in the first half of games than the second half throughout the entire tournament. Um, And I would throw that game against the Netherlands in that category as well, despite the fact they were 2-0 down at halftime. I I think that when you look at the U.S., um, it was a team that was unapologetic from the start. It was a team that wanted to set the tempo. They usually, if I remember right, I think against England, they had the first golden shot. They had the first goal, obviously, against Wales, against Iran. They were really setting the tempo as well. And so they were not hesitating Christian Pulisic of course gets his one-on-one with the goalkeeper in the fourth minute six minutes before the Netherlands opened the scoring in the round of 16 right so the initiative was always there from the start um conversely then it was a very conservative adjustment at halftime it was never really trying to do something radical to uh keep control of the game tactically it was always sort of ceding to the opponent and saying what we're doing is working why mess with what's working why overhaul it and that usually is what caught them unaware it's um, an individual mistake from Walker Zimmerman on the penalty uh, with Gareth Bale, but he was put in a pretty unfavorable situation based on some other defensive miscues. Um, England, it was kind of absorb, absorb, absorb. Uh, down the stretch was painstaking. Iran, of course, that stoppage time was took years off of all of our lives, I think. Uh, and then, uh, you know, of course, down the stretch uh, against the Netherlands, never quite looking like they were able to capitalize on the spaces Louis van Hall's side was giving them.
1: Well, let, let's go into, I guess, like you mentioned, the, I guess, more positive uh, grade for Greg Burhalter, and that's the first half of games. So your yeah. lineup and initial tactics against Holland. You've kind of broken it down into first impression and then lasting impression. Yeah. Um, you know, first impression, you had Jesus Ferreira in there at the number nine position in there for an injured um, Josh Sargent. Red, red. What did, you, what did you make of Greg's decisions with that starting eleven against Holland?
2: I think we spent all week focusing on Christian Pulisic, and I don't think that there was anything wrong with that. That had to be the priority, but I think that the unspoken part was Pulisic and Timothy Weah were able to do what they were doing throughout the group stage in large part because of what Josh Sargent was able to do and then to a lesser extent against England, what Haji Wright was able to do when starting. Um, I think his holdup work was... Essential to the way that Burhalter wanted to play with his striker leading the line and the wingers running off of him um, for the verticality. I think that his pressing was also very crucial to be able to force some opportunities. And, and so then, you know, when you threw in a Josh Sargent and then off the bench came Brendan Aronson, um, it was a lot for opponents to deal with. And, and I think we saw that anytime the two of them were on the field together. So uh, bringing in Jesus Ferreira, I understand Haji Wright had not impressed against England and certainly impressed even less coming off the bench against Iran. But ultimately um, if you're giving a guy who went through most of the calendar year expecting to start, didn't play a single minute in the group stage, and then suddenly he comes in fresh to start the round of 16, either that player is going to be full of confidence, proven wrong, you know, F the coach, we're going to go do it myself and I'll show you what he was missing the whole time. Um, Or what we ended up getting the Jesus Ferreira that we saw in the MLS Cup playoffs, which is to say a Jesus Ferreira devoid of confidence, trying to do too much, staying in his head, questioning every decision he makes, and ultimately a much worse version of the player. Um, you know, And I think that there's going to be a lot of reflection to be had uh, from the program, from media, frankly, and from Ferreira himself about what happened down the stretch in 2022 that saw him go from a player who did end up winning MLS Young Player of the Year with 18 goals in league play to being a player who needed to come off at halftime for a player who's not even in his same position, just to try to save face against the Netherlands.
1: What did you make of Berhalter's decision to bring Walker Zimmerman back in, in place of Cameron Carter Vickers, who we saw um, in the group stage? Was that a a huge decision? Was that, hey, we're just trying to fit these players in against how we think Netherlands are going to play? Was that a tactical thing? Because – we, we kind of assumed after Cameron Carter-Vickers played against Iran, we're, we we thought, okay, maybe him and Tim Ream are going to be the duo moving forward. What mm-hmm. was the reasoning for Zimmerman back in?
2: Yeah, I, I think ultimately it was the aerial threat. I think Carter-Vickers, he he is able to win a header, but I think he's much better muscling defenders off the ball and being able to kind of do that sort of matchup one-on-one work Um which is a good compliment to Tim Ream, but I think that ultimately when you have the way that this Netherlands team was going to play, one, a lot of height for set pieces. Um, Virgil van Dijk obviously is, you know, an incredible threat on those. Um, Bringing Matthias De Ligt off the bench is another one that you've got as well. Cody Gakpo had been faring well in that sense. So I think that they saw a need for, uh, you know, an extra inch or two of height. Uh, I think that they're also... It did feel like a decision burhalter made in part out of loyalty. It did feel uh, like something where, look, this was our number one center back throw qualifying. Yes, he made that mistake against Wales. Yes, he was uh, you know, a little bit better against England, but not convincing. So I, I think this is the guy I need to bring in because he's been there for the big moments throughout. And unfortunately... Um, you know, it, it didn't work out. I don't know if I would necessarily say that Walker Zimmerman was the one who was at fault. I think that, you know, as Paul Tenorio and Sam Stayskull have already written, the, the goals ultimately come down to individual mistakes um, from players you wouldn't expect to make them. Tyler Adams on the first one, Anthony Robinson, Serginio Dest, you know, these are players who had been among the most consistent players in the entire pool through all of qualifying and certainly through the group stage, but then ultimately, um, you know, their mistakes cost the United States in that game more than Walker Zimmerman's inclusion in the lineup, in my personal opinion.
1: So you've given Berhalter a C minus grade for the initial lineup um, tactics category. Now going into halftime adjustments, which like you had mentioned, you have the Giovanni Arena substitution in there as halftime adjustments. Yeah. How did that substitution impact his grade and how did it, ultimately impact the second half where the U S kind of knew they had to throw the kitchen sink out yeah. and, and have to push forward. How did the Reina substitution for Ferreira impact Berhalter's eventual grade?
2: I think it was, uh, you know, I think it almost showed why some of these grades felt incomplete in some cases, because I think when you saw Giovanni Reyna, you saw like Jesus Ferreira a player who was underutilized in the group stage, a player who expected to, have big moments in this tournament. And then ultimately was just left with a very short amount of time to, to showcase why he should have been there in the first place. And it's, it's not a recipe for success with young players, young players vibe off of confidence. They want consistency. They want a coach who believes in them. They want to be out in the field. Um, they want to be able to make those mistakes and actually show them rather than being kept from making any sort of play whatsoever. So, um, you know, ultimately in the long run, I think that what you saw with Giovanni Reina, especially being asked to play with his back towards goal, was a player who was just trying to do too much, a player who was uncomfortable with his responsibilities, a player who was trying to do too much ultimately because at the end of the day, all he needed to do um, was get two goals back. That's what the U.S. needed to go. It was an absolute backbreaker when Daily Blind came in and scored that goal in the final kick of the first half because I think that when you were at halftime down 1-0, you feel like there's something you can do right you you feel like okay you you come back in the first 10 minutes you equalize and it's a brand new game for 35 plus stoppage uh and ultimately instead what we saw was a team that was needing to do too much with a player who was trying too hard to prove himself in a position that just was not right for him. And at the end of the day, that's not a recipe for a comeback. That's seldom a recipe for success in general. And it ended up costing the U S. So I think that that's a decision where of course, if Josh Sargent's healthy, he comes in, but I think just with the way this team plays, the shape that they try to carry and all of that, I don't think it was the right fit. We all wanted to see more of Gio Reyna. We really did. It just wasn't a situation that was going to set the player or the team up. Well,
1: Day on the Giovanni Reyna topic here. Yeah. Um, like like you mentioned, he he played a lot of that second half with with his back towards the goal. I, is that more of a Burhalter thing where he's telling Giovanni Reyna what to do, or is it more about what the Netherlands
2: was doing that kind of forced him that way? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to how this team wanted to play. I think that ideally this team wanted Josh Sargent out there. They needed Josh Sargent and. You know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm a faceless account on Twitter, but they needed Ricardo Pepe. They needed somebody who was going to be able to simultaneously do the holdup and the pressing work to let the wingers be the chief goal scorers as they had been when this team was succeeding in both qualifying and in the group stage. Um, and so I think part of it was, Gio, you're coming in, but we do still need someone who's going to be able to do a little bit of that work. Um Look, Giovanni Reno at this point is not an elite goal scorer, so it isn't necessarily like he was you know, being robbed of what he does best or that he was being put in a situation that wasn't necessarily best. I think that if you look at a modern hold-up striker, their responsibilities actually do line up more with the kind of quintessential playmaker um, that we saw in the bygone decade uh, than we often give credit for. Look, they're still supposed to score goals, but I think that if, if you're going to let your wingers bear the brunt of this, I mean, look at Roberto Firmino with Liverpool. And, and, you know, when you have wingers like Luis Diaz, Mosala, Sadio Mane last year for past seasons, um, you know, you're allowed to play with your back toward goal and you're also allowed to get goals, but you're also expected to do a lot of that facilitation. You're looking for that ball. You're looking for that killer through ball over the back line. Once you get that ball, you're trying to get that, you know, saucy back heel that Firmino does especially well. And you would think that that's something that Giovanni Reina could do. Um, So I, I think that part of it was yes, Burhalter ordained. I think part of it was necessitated by the tactical structure that they chose for this group and the player who was replaced um, You know, taking Ferreira off. You did need someone who's going to do some of that work just so that you didn't have too much cluttering because otherwise I think what you ended up seeing in the moments where Reyna was trying not to do that was a little bit of messiness with Christian Pulisic of who is going to be on the left, who's going to be central, and how are we going to be playing? And a lot of the time you saw them trying to charge into the exact same areas because That's the area that Pulisic likes to feast in. That's the area that Reyna is certainly feeling most empowered by Borussia Dortmund to play in right now in this ongoing Bundesliga season when he's been healthy. Um, And so I think it is a mix of, you know, some of it does fall in Giovanni Reyna for not being able to have that sort of um, mentality of, uh, you know, let's stay rigid to the tactical structure. But in Giovanni Reyna's defense, he wasn't really put in a situation to truly succeed. It was going to take something... Pretty spectacular uh, for that setup, for him to be playing with his back towards goal to really pan out like that. Um, they were looking for extra transcreation, and I think that the U.S. looked a lot better once Haji Wright got in there just because they did have a little bit more of a coherent shape to them for once again. But, yeah, ultimately it, it did end up being a situation that um, – it needed to happen. I don't know if there was a better player to bring in once Josh Sargent was injured and Pepe was left out the roster, but yeah, just didn't work out. And I think that there is some some blame to be shared by both the coach and the player in this one.
1: So after the game, uh, Netherlands manager Louis Van Hall came out and said the USA didn't adjust. Yeah, Pre- pretty much telling saying burhalter didn't do anything different to to try and win the game. Essentially, yeah. If if, if you read between the lines. I, I see your grade as a D plus for that, and, and I think most U.S. fans would agree. But, but, uh, not what could he could Berhalter have done better, but why is the grade so low?
2: Well, you know, and I think that Van Hall tried to soften that a little bit with the context around it, which which didn't get circulated as much. So, um, I mean, I think that the, the Cliff's Notes version of that comment basically is once you get to this level, you're not going to see coaches really making many adjustments because you only have so long with these players that you don't have a, a playbook of five alternative tactics like you do with your club players who you've worked with all training camp and all all season long. Right. Where you're able to say, OK, we're in this scenario, in this match scenario, we're down to zero. If it's a club, let's say Greg Berhalter with a Columbus Crew or Hammerby in his past club career, um, you know maybe he'd be able to come in and say, all right, what we're going to need to do is drop this player to this part of the midfield, and then this player steps into this role, but we've rehearsed this. You know what you're doing. Um, Van Hall is saying that what, in the international level, once you get to a very good team, you, you're so used to setting the tempo that you don't have those concession plans. I don't think it's necessarily a fault that those weren't readily available, especially in qualifying. Um, though you did see them, I would say like, you know, that second half against Honduras where Pepe scored his two goals and, um, you know, a couple of other games as well, where they really came out gunning after the break. I just think that there should have been something. I think when it was clear that this team didn't have an obvious striker, that they didn't have that number nine, like Josie Altador, like Brian McBride, like Eric Winalda, uh, Ernie Stewart, who was in past world cup cycles, who were going to be able to just, you know, find a goal. However, it came about, it didn't have to be pretty. It didn't have to have team interplay. It wasn't necessarily going to be the same method of goal scoring every time, but they would be dependable to at least be in those chances when they didn't have that player in the pool for this cycle. And it's currently looking by the way, like they might not for the next cycle either. Um, there needed to be a way to play without a true striker. Look, Spain got caught out today against Morocco because they didn't have a striker for this tournament, but you know, they were still able to navigate a very tough group, um, With some tactical adjustments by Luis Enrique. And I think that that's what you would want to see is you don't need to have five. You don't need to have a whole, you know, which finger are you holding up? How many times are you bouncing the ball to showcase whatever tactic, whatever the case is, it doesn't need to be that radical, but there did need to be something to find a way to um, get the most out of his team, uh, even when they were playing at a deficit without a true number nine.
1: So you have your substitutions grade as a B minus, you know, you mentioned that you liked DeAndre Edlin in there over Shaq Moore. He looked a little more comfortable. You enjoyed yeah. seeing Rana and Aronson on the pitch at the same time. So it, it seems that Greg Berhalter made the right substitutions, just didn't put those substitutes in the right position to
2: succeed. Yeah, am, I, am
1: I correct in that it's No, that, that
2: seems fair, and I think that sometimes it's just simple player combinations where we hadn't really seen a tactical setup where you had Giovanni Reyna, Brendan Aronson, and Christian Pulisic, and Timothy Whale on the field at the same time, and so... You know, it's a lot of talent. And I think that we're in this era of FIFA right now, the video game, right, where you look at ultimate team and you say, well, they're on the same national team and they're all playing in a top five league in Europe. So they're all going to be really good. Right. But it just cohesively doesn't work like that. And so there was a lot of trying to figure out, like I said, with Reina and Pulisic, who's going to be in what spot? It's uh, Aronson coming in as a midfielder and then saying, "Okay, where does this ball need to go? Who?" makes what run and it's just not as fluid as cohesive as it is on a club side. And it isn't as cohesive when they aren't starters. Um, when you're bringing Reyna and Aaronson in off the bench, they're not going to have that same sort of verb and that same interplay to understand. This is what Timothy Weah is thriving with in Qatar right now. We've seen it, but we haven't executed it. So, um, you know, part of it is combination based. Part of it is just the players who are available. Um, and part of it is, you know, uh, rust and, and you've been training and you've been hyped up for this tournament. But if you have a player like Giovanni Reina exiting the group stage with seven minutes played, if you have DeAndre Yedlin, the only holdover from the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, not playing at all in the group stage and being third choice behind Shaq Moore, um, when they're needed to step up in these moments, they're not going to be as confident in themselves. They're going to have too much on their mind, too much to prove, really. And it's not a situation that sets these players up to succeed. Um, and I think that ultimately that's a... Uh, you know, that is a failure Emperor Halter, at that point, because part of it is u- simple utilization of players. Brazil became the first team to use 26 players in one World Cup because they brought their third choice goalkeeper off the bench against South Korea, just probably for the monument. But, um, you know, all the same, that is, a, 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 you know, the U.S. player pool is light years behind Brazil in terms of depth, front end quality, you name it. But I think that you do need to have a coach who's able to say, we're going to need some of these guys in big moments um, as we get to games that will involve extra time and a potential six substitution or these knockout games where it's just, you know, win or go home, uh, which every game was after the first two. And, and we need to be able to make sure that the whole team and not just our first 14 players are set up to succeed in that scenario.
1: So going to your final marks now, which includes, uh, you know, initial lineup, halftime adjustments, substitutions, you've given the final mark of this Netherlands game a C-. And yeah. and you kind you kind of say... It's not as simple as saying Louis van Hall is a
2: he's know, a better he, coach you can you can outright say okay. it. he is a better coach yeah but, but <laughs> it, 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 is
1: that is that essentially what it comes down to, and there's really nothing that could have been done differently
2: I think there are still things that could have been done differently but I think that when you get to once the game got to a point where the Netherlands were able to dictate play which took five seven minutes it didn't take too long but once they got to that point it was just before they got that first goal and you could actually argue it didn't happen until that goal went in but nevertheless once that happened um it looked way too comfortable. I I think that's where it gets frustrating is because you you look and you say that there was never really a moment between goals one and two, where it looked like the U S was just about ready to level it. It looked like they were kind of playing just to keep it one zero at halftime. And then, uh, you know, when it was pretty clear, Jesus Ferreira wasn't going to work out in the lineup for them, just make the change to Gio Reyna and let's reset down a goal in the second half and we can pull this off. It really seemed like that was the intention at a certain stage. And that's, troubling that's not something you want to see in a knockout game right and so i think that th- so much of this you know it, it still is a c minus which isn't a d range it isn't an f which implies that there is some quality there and i think that by c- and large c- the lineup was C's right get by and large degrees, the Jeff. tactics at the start of every single game were what needed to be done but it wasn't identifying these weaknesses and i think that's what i keep coming back to is that in particular In the group stage against England and Iran, one area that the U.S. really thrived in was overloading the wide channels and being able to throw Weston McKinney on the left or the right, depending on the matchup, to um, get an extra outlet and basically force facilitation, move the midfield in a way from the center of the park to either wing, which is taking the space that's given to you. And the Netherlands were not apologizing for crowding the central channel with three center backs and three midfielders. They were daring the U S to take those wide channels and they just didn't do it, even though they'd shown that they could in this tournament. And so it's, it's that the players were there in the right spots for the most part. Again, a couple that were a little bit off Giovanni ran in the second half, especially, um, but for the most part they were set up pretty well it was just a few sloppy mistakes the expected goal difference is, i think 0.02 the u.s had an advantage so it was a close game and it's you know I, i think that almost makes it more bittersweet because it feels like one where if you played it again knowing what you know now there are a few obvious things that you would change and that would probably make it a much closer game and actually give the u.s a really good chance to win it but um, that's not the world we live in, and, and so I think that you look at it. a C minus is a, a really disappointing grade to read because it's not a failure, but it's not a success either. There's just a lot, a lot of time needed to digest something like that.
1: Well, it's a good thing we had that end of term reflection from you, uh, where you have given Berhalter a C grade. This is I, I kind of want to lump lump the entire tournament together with sure. with Berhalter's tenure as U S men's national team head coach is would you agree that his C grade in the tournament is all would also reflect his, his tenure? Would you essentially, or would you grade the world cup on a different scale than, you know, since uh, 29, since 2018, when he took over?
2: Yeah, I, man, it's, it's a fascinating question. Um, Because I think that so often when we look at an international manager, like, yes, if you're in Europe, if you're in South America, you might also look at the euros. You might look at Copa America, but Mm. you know, with the U S you're not looking at gold cups, you know, you're not measuring it off of how you fare in the nation's league. Yes. It's good to beat Mexico three times in a calendar year. That's an undoubted success. And I think that that's something that also is going to bring Berhalter's legacy to a slightly higher standing. Once the dust settles a little bit and people are a little more comfortable praising the guy. Um, But I think that when you look at, When you look at the whole tournament, um, or sorry, when you look at his whole tenure, of course, the World Cup is going to be the final test. Of course, it's going to be the thing that carries the most of his grade and his overall value to the program. But I think that it does gloss over some really crucial things that he was able to do. One, he was able to bring in so many young players who I think that a lot of other coaches historically, I don't know if you know, a Jurgen Klinsmann would have trusted that many young players, a Bob Bradley, a Bruce Arena certainly wouldn't have. So I think that that is something where more than his predecessors, he was able to move the program forward and set them on this sort of youth revolution, this hopeful progression that hasn't really been the case. And part of it is a talent deficit. We talk about the lost generation so often the players born from like 88 to 93 ish. But um, you know, bringing in more of those young players that will only set the U.S. up while well moving forward. And so that is something that Burhalter did well. I think his recruitment of dual nationals is second to none in program history. And I'm including Jurgen Klinsmann because I think that Klinsmann was so hyper-focused on German-American players, right? And and you saw that with the John Brooks, the Jermaine Joneses, the um, Fabian Johnsons who were stepping into crucial roles because they weren't getting a run out with Mannschaft But you know, Eunice Musa is a player that Gareth Southgate is still ruining, and they're in probably the most talented generation of English players yet. Um, you know, getting uh, getting Gaga Slomina set up to be the goalkeeper of the future already—that's a success. Getting a, a few other crucial, crucial players. Um, Sergino so Dest, I believe that that final saga actually concluded during the Burhalter era, if I remember right. So, um, yeah, there's there's a few other things that he does deserve more credit for than he's been getting. Um, but I think ultimately, yeah, the world cup is going to be the biggest part of his grade because this is the one major, major, major tournament that the U S plays every four years for better or for worse. So, you know, I think that using the additional stuff that he's done, that program building, that verticality, that kind of reestablishing a culture, I think I would bump him up to something of a B range. Um, but yeah, I think that that world cup performance left a lot to be desired despite him controlling a lot of the variables you would hope to, uh, he did progress as a coach as well. I think that his initial tactics were much less naive once he got to the world cup. And I think that that's something that will serve him well, moving forward. Um, I don't think his stock necessarily dropped for having taken the job. I think it did actually, you know, his, his reputation increased globally. And so I think he'll have a much better chance of going to MLS than he would have, if he'd stay with the Columbus crew, or if he would you know, 2018, let's say he, he jumps over and takes over the galaxy, for example, um, the club that he retired with, of course, after winning two MLS cups. Um, you know, I think that that would have not done as much for his career as this post and his output in this job have allowed him to most likely, um, but yeah, it's hard for me to go anywhere above a B at this point, just given the way that there was just a couple of roster decisions and a couple of tactical changes or in, in you know, indecisions mid game that ended up really haunting the U.S. and Qatar.
1: Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here and, and, and we'll wrap up with this. In terms of the U.S. men's national team program, right? Yeah. And, and everything you've seen from Burhalter these past three years. Four years, actually, doing the math yeah, in my it's head. it's a lifetime. I, I, <laughs> what is I time don't, anymore? By the way, how of the I, week is it? I don't parent, know anymore. My parents aren't math teachers like yours, so I, it <laughs> takes me time to process these things. Um, it, is f- From what you've seen from Burhalter, does he deserve a second cycle, or are you under the belief that each cycle should be a different manager? Things can't be the same. You have to continue to change and evolve
2: yeah i think unless you have your program's five best players this is so not a mathematical way to do this and this is not how professional sports with this much money involved work or should work but if it were me and we're going to take a page out of you know the nba star culture i guess sit down your three to five players where you're like look if they don't make the 2026 world cup roster a disaster has happened either for this player in their career um No, just for this player in their career. Like if if any of these five players aren't there, something went very wrong. So you sit them down and, you know, you you have some frank conversations. How was the atmosphere at the tournament? How was the um, morale? throughout how how was the player belief when you were down to zero at halftime did you quietly in your own seat in the locker room think that you had a chance to pull this off because of the coach and if their answers are we believe in the guy we like playing for the guy we think we're going towards somewhere and yes we did actually think we could pull off that comeback even that moment because of the coach we had then you consider keeping a coach but i think after what we saw with Jurgen Klinsmann, what we saw with the start of Bob Bradley afterwards, which I thought was a little bit harsh to get him out the door in 2011. But nevertheless, um, Bruce Arena in 2006, I think that you look and just say, this is a program for whatever reason. No, I'll, I'll broaden this. There are very few examples of an international manager staying on for an additional cycle beyond the first one and having greater success. You look at Roberto Martinez with Belgium this cycle. um, You think of Yogi Love with Germany. It went well for a little bit and then it really didn't. Um, You know, I think that there is that, that danger with how infrequently these players get together, how infrequently, compared to their clubs, obviously, and how infrequently they work with this coach. I think having a fresh voice every four years is a good thing. And I think that if you're looking to you know, quarterfinal at the bare minimum in 2026. And I think when you look at the performance of this team, you look at the areas where they're not going to have to rebuild, specifically the engine room of the midfield with that trio of MMA. Semi-final is realistic. And once you get to a World Cup semifinal, you're as good as a winner because then it's just how you play on those two individual games in the semi. And if you get there, the final, right, like the margins are so fine at that point that you really can't say, um, you know, with maybe one or two exceptions historically, I can't believe this team got to a semi-final. It's deserved. So, you know, I, I think that you look around and there is room for improvement with how this team plays. They're not going to find the challenge right now in North America. Canada's on the rise, but they've got some serious deficiencies in midfield and defense. And now they've got a goalkeeper that they've got to figure out between Milan Bourgeon likely retiring and then Maxime Cropot's horrific injury taking him out for a year. Is Dane St. Clair really ready to be one of the top goalkeepers in CONCACAF? I'm based out of Minnesota. I watch him play all the time. Yeah. He's consistent, he's solid. Um, but I'm not sure that I would throw him in that category of the, you know, the Matt Turners, the the Memo Ochoas, whatever the case is, just yet. He needs he still has a lot of work to do in the consistency department especially. Mexico does not have a youth generation quite like the US had 4 years ago, but they're feeling just as down in the dumps as the US did for missing the World Cup because they did not get out of the group stage this
1: year. And they also don't have a head coach right now.
2: Right? Right, and, I, and and by the way, I don't think Tata Martino would have done better with this U.S. program over the last four years than Berhalter. Hindsight's everything, but yep. I think with what you've seen with how he's managed Mexico and what you saw with the player pool, the players he relied on not really bringing in younger guys, kind of sticking to his group, um, you know, it was something that Felipe Cardenas, our colleague at The Athletic, who covered Mexico expertly throughout the cycle and in Qatar, uh, you know, would joke about we'd be on staff calls three months before the tournament or the long list roster was due. And he'd say, I know 25 of the 26 already. And I didn't ask anyone like, you just know who this roster was going to be. And he was right. Um, so, so beside the point though, um, I think a fresh perspective would work out. I, I think that Burhalter you know, every indication has been that he missed the club scene, but maybe being in a world cup kind of changes his mind and they sit down and talk. But I think unless you've got the buy-in of Polisic, Reina, Weah, McKenney, Musa, Adams, you know, unless those guys are all like, we need this coach. This is our best chance to do the best that we can in 2026 on home soil. I think that every option is open at this point.
1: Gotcha. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being our teacher today giving us grades on berhalter really appreciate it uh again everybody can find that article and all of jeff's work on the athletic i will have the um the article link in this description so please go check it out jeff thank you so much
2: anytime man